What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Happy Hour. I'm so excited. It's me, Gretchen, and we are joined with a good friend, Andrea. Hi everyone. I'm Andrea Labonte. Uh, she, her, hers are my pronouns that I go by. Um, I've known Gretchen for a really long time and I'm super excited to be here. Um, one, because I just love to make fun of Gretchen. So you guys will see a little pokey poke humor in this, um, but also because I'm really excited to share my story and uh, kind of what you guys can do to be better aspiring allies as the uh, yeah. title of the episode says. Yeah. Oh, I am so excited to have you, Andrea, because I mean, we'll get into it, but you guys, me and Andrea go way back, like literally way, not like, oh, way back, like high school. No, like Like probably eight years old. Pre-highlights, pre-highlights, if that says anything. (laughs) I I knew Gretchen when she wasn't blonde. It's wild. Wait, that's actually so scary. (laughs) But we've known each other for so long and I am just like so blessed to have Andrea in my life and that we've like more recently reconnected and she is just like so impressive. So literally brag about yourself right now. Tell them like your job, where you are in life, what you're yeah. doing. So Gretchen and I are the same age. So I also graduated in 2019. Um, I graduated from the University of New Hampshire, the Peter T. Paul College of Business and Economics. It is a mouthful, so don't worry if you can't catch that the first time. Um, And I now work there. So I was really involved when I was in school. I did a lot of um, teaching and I was a peer advisor, which I won't dive too much into, but it's basically a mentor role as an upperclassman. Um, And all the programs I worked in, I basically really kind of laid some groundwork for me to want to continue with that work. So when they asked, like, do you want to stick around and be an academic advisor and run the program? It's called the FIRE program um, that you were in while you were in school. I was, I was all in 100%. I was super excited about it. And now I work with the first year students of the business school all around the first year experience. Um, So making sure, you know, people are happy and healthy and balanced in their first year. Um, But I also do some academic advising and then casually worked in has been some diversity, equity and inclusion um, pieces. So really implementing that into the FIRE program, making that a part of the first year experience, um, but also kind of making sure our faculty and staff know how to properly support um, students in kind of those you know, oppressed areas that kind of need some more inclusive spaces on campus because um, there's plenty of space for us all to do better at UNH. You are so well-spoken, Andrea. This episode is going to be like so <laughs> nice to listen to. You guys, she was just telling me how she spoke to like 600 students and faculty the other night. Like I could never. That is so impressive. 
I will, I will say hiding my uh, blushing behind Zoom is a, is a real treat though. I can get the lighting right so nobody can see how red my face is. So it's a blessing in disguise being behind like, the computer screen. No one can tell I'm nervous. Okay, I have a question about something you said. So mm-hmm. you said the FIRE program. So is that the first year like program that you focus on? Yeah, it's called the First Year Innovation Research Experience. So mm-hmm. um, it's a game kind of in the sense where they earn points for getting involved. Um, it's also a mentorship program. Like I said, we have peer advisors and then alumni advisors um, that are kind of like mentorship levels for these students. Um, But it's also focused really around like academic success um, and all of that. It is a huge sell for the business school because we always like to make sure that people have a team when they get to campus and each Mm -hmm. um, freshman is put in with a peer advisor and around 20 other students. So they have a Mm -hmm. team as soon as they get to campus. Um, So really building community is the main goal. Wait, I love that. That is literally so important and so special and I was lucky that I had a team that I was joining my freshman year you Mm -hmm. know so I like had that immediate group that I could like talk to and be friends with so to have like to be put on a team like that's so nice that you immediately like shrink down the size of the school and you're like oh wait I can like talk with these people we know each other you know exactly scary your freshman year like meeting people it is and we noticed too like we have so many students that come out of school having been on an athletic team or in band or kind of um, in different groups in high school and they miss that right it's you don't have that family of people that you know are there to listen to whatever so we tried to really foster that just so that people have a sense of community but also they enjoy UNH you enjoy UNH more kind of the more involved you get obviously and that's true anywhere but Mm-hmm. Part of it, as well as all of the research behind, if you get involved, your grades are better. And that proves true, like, year mm-hmm. after year. Oh, my gosh. This is making UNH sound so good, guys. Go to UNH. Go to UNH. To Andrea as your academic advisor. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is actually a retention strategy. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> um, I wonder if anyone listening goes to UNH and knows you. Like, I wonder if some people, like, listen to Happy Hour and, like, know you. They definitely do. I will never forget my sophomore year walking in, or my my junior year. I walked into my friend's room, and her roommate was listening to you on YouTube. And I go, I was like, is that Gretchen? And they go, yeah. And I was like, that's so weird. And I just said it, because that was, like, the first time I ran into someone just watch. They were like, why? You don't, I was like, no, I love her. But I, I. (laughs) <laughs> just not what you, I was you expecting don't even to know. hear her voice. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, like I know her. Like I don't like know her. Like you know her. Like I know. <laughs> exactly. Guys, like this is just like memory lane right now because you don't even understand. We're okay. Let's get into that because now you know who Andrea is, and I want to talk more about like the background of our relationship, how we met, like our family ties, because I feel like our families like when they were our age and younger grew up knowing each other. So then when we were little grew up knowing each other, that kind of thing. And so I can't even remember the first, first time we met, but we were probably like seven or eight years old. Like yes. we were so young. You and Lucy were cheerleaders. You were very excited to show me and Joyce your routine. Joyce is my older sister. So um, I'll never forget it. You insisted on teaching it to us. Oh, classic. We must have been in third grade. You, Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a long time so, ago. How old are you in third grade? I don't even, like, young. Like, probably eight. Because if you're, what are you, five in kindergarten? Five, six, seven, yeah. Because I think I was nine in fourth grade when I started dyeing my hair blonde. So if I met you before then, it was probably, like, third grade. Yeah. And, yeah, I think we were, like, cheerleaders. I don't even (laughs) remember that. Guys, me and Andrea were, like, texting yesterday, and we were saying memories, and we were saying 
um, she was telling me about the cheerleading and I don't even remember that, but I do remember us tie-dyeing and like, we'd play this one card game, Kent, if you guys have played that, like there's so many things. And it's kind of funny too, because I, we remember very different things. Like I, mm -hmm. this is the most classic Gretchen Loves Beauty moment ever. I will never forget. We went to a family party at the, um, at our families of Brewster's. And Gretchen convinced me to dress very nice. And we were so overdressed at this family party. I will never forget it. And I, um, special shout out, I'll never forget. Everyone kind of looked and like laughed and was like, oh, hey girls. But then um, your dad like just opened up his arms like, you all look beautiful. And it was just oh. like, that is, it sticks out to me. Um, he was wearing his funky golf pants. So. Oh, of course. Was, <laughs> of course he was. Wait, that's so sweet. That yeah. is crazy how we remember such different moments because like, I don't even remember that, but I feel like I remember like the other, like most random moments. Like I remember when your guy's friend broke her arm because she like fell over the balcony. Oh yes. And those. like, <laughs> like, yeah, like so many things and just like playing Ken and going to the barn and like running around in the fields and I don't Picking know. We just everyone had... off of the TV when Pretty Little Liars was on. Like oh, there yeah. was one TV that we had access to among like three houses. You had to basically smack the side of it to get it going. And we would <laughs> make everyone get out and obviously no DVR at that point. So it's just like, oh, no. all right, we have to watch this real time. Nobody talk. I need to hear yep. every word that comes out of Spencer's mouth. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was like, it was eight o'clock. Everyone zip it. We have like important business to get to. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, I think it's like kind of cool to show too the, so Gretchen and I know out like pretty far out to like family-wise on the lake that we met at. Um, so mm -hmm. when she talks about like our families grew up knowing each other, I know out to like my third, maybe fourth cousins that live on that lake. And I know you're in a mm -hmm. similar boat too, right? How far out do you know? It's like probably like cousin? second cousins, like third cousins. Cause you know, we have some family like up the road more. Like I feel mm -hmm. like it, to put this into perspective for our listeners, you guys, this lake is so small and it's you basically can't have like, motorboats on it no no engines. no motorboats <laughs> like it's so quaint and just quiet like no one has ever heard of it ever which is so weird andrea like you're not even gonna believe this but my best friend taylor her boyfriend that she's been dating for a near a year now when i met him he was like oh yeah silver lake and i was like wait what not like my silver lake and he was yeah. like no yeah like he goes to our lake like his dad grew up with like our parents and I'm like whoa 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 what I was quizzing him I'm like shut the front Sandy door Beach? no way I was like I was like where's, where's Sandy Beach? barn <laughs> like I'm, I'm like quizzing him and he freaking knew I was like this is so crazy so anyway what I'm trying to say is whenever we talk about our lake house like no one knows where it is it's literally in the middle of nowhere and yeah we just I feel like bonded so much because we were around the same age and we had I didn't even say this but we were like in the lake houses next to each other mm -hmm. so I just remember like waking up in the morning and like running into their house and being like <laughs> let's go pick blackberries and make like blackberry pancakes and tie exactly I could see your back porch from the kitchen and um for anyone mm -hmm. that doesn't know, I love to cook I love to cook so I'd be in the kitchen Gretchen <laughs> we'd be like wake up <laughs> Uh, we drove everyone crazy. It was all good fun though. Oh yeah. I want to be like 12 again and go back to the lake for like a whole month. It was so fun. Yeah. It's so weird that we used to have that much time there. Very odd. No, And then I just feel like as we grew older, like we were just more busy with like sports mm -hmm. and life and other friends and stuff. And I feel like by the time I was in high school, we would just go for like a week or a weekend. And then in college, it was like, 
yeah, maybe a weekend. So we like barely, like we didn't see each other like all of college, I don't think. Yeah, which is hilarious because like, I live in, I lived in Massachusetts. That's where my parents are from. And she was in Boston and we still just like, it was, it was a grind. We would always miss each other whenever we were like, Hey, I'm home for Thanksgiving. Are you around? It's like, Oh, I just left. Like it was uh, always missing each other, but I know, but I feel like I was thinking about this yesterday, how I feel like we are so just the type of people, like we pick up where we left off, you know, like, I feel like when we had I don't know if it was January or February. I think it was January when we met up in Boston and had like probably a five hour lunch because we were just catching up on everything. Like it felt like, you know, like we, it hadn't even been that much time since we didn't see Pre-pandemic. How weird. No. Yeah. I, I I remember that. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Did someone need this table? Too bad. We're going to be here for a while. (laughs) Yeah. We were there like forever catching up. I know we were like closer than six feet and like hugged and stuff. Yeah. It was weird. Bizarre. Super bizarre. (laughs) don't you like catch yourself like when I'm watching movies now or anything like there'll be people like waiting in line or like at a club and everyone's like hugging and shaking hands and I'm like ooh, like that's weird if you really want to give yourself the uh heebie-jeebies I watched um like I'm gonna be like the 500 miles music video the other day and it's all of these people just like so close to each other it's like a kind of an artistic effect with it and I was like oh my gosh you're all so close (laughs) wear your masks I was like, oh, you're breathing on all of these people. What if there's wind? I was like, oh, gosh. No, and it's weird, too, because I feel like I've started to dream at a six-foot distance. I'm a, like, I dream really vivid dreams, and I am, I don't go near people in my dreams, and I'm like, this is weird. Like, my reality is now, like, casually coasting That is so weird. Yeah. But wait, that's great. So it's pandemic in your dreams also. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that is like pretty much that's what Andrew's up to. That's like how we met. We just like grew up family, friends and everything like that. And if you didn't catch it, she well, she has an older brother and an older sister. But it was like her older sister, Joyce, Andrea, and then me and my twin sister, Lucy, were just like a little squad and we had so yes. much fun. Yeah, we definitely had a crew of gals around the same age, which uh, mm-hmm. was lots of fun. And then my listeners would know that I start off every episode talking about something that I'm happy about. And then like, I always say like a happy quote, but a lot of times it's like, this is sort of, it's just what's on my mind or like a mantra or an idea. So what are you happy about this week? Um, I am really happy about, I'm coaching a softball team right now and I'm pretty stoked about Mm -hmm. that. We had our second practice this week and softball has been so important to me my whole life. And being able to be a head coach of a team has been you know, a hope of mine for a long time. Um, and I saw the girls for the second time this week and it was after they like shook off some of their awkwardness of meeting each other for the first time last week. So that was last night and they were awesome. One of them did want me to shout her out on here, Audrey. She loves you. She listens to you all the time. Hey, um, Audrey, hey girl, when you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love that. She'll be crazy about it. I'm sure I'll get a million texts. No, but um, I love that. yeah, I'm loving coaching. It means the absolute world to me. So it's 18 you. So, um, they're for the most part, like sophomores through seniors in high school. So Mm -hmm. I do have some youngins on there, but you know, it's looking like a good team and I'm really, I'm really excited. How do you do all of this? Do you have time to like breathe or like sleep ever? (laughs) 
I do, believe it <laughs> or not. You're so busy. I know. I'm, I'm also going for my master's. Um, but Oh, my goodness. Yes. I definitely like to run myself very thin, um, but that's also <laughs> how I keep myself sane. So it's like if I'm not mm-hmm. doing something, I'm sitting there like, what could I be doing right now? Um, mm-hmm. So as long as I'm filling it with stuff I like to do, I don't, I don't mind it one bit. So. Wait, I feel like we're similar in that way. Like I definitely have to keep busy or I'm like, okay, like I have to do something else. I have to like stay mm-hmm. productive. I didn't know that you were coaching a team. That's so exciting. Yes, it is. That was just making me think how I feel like you and I are more similar and like Joyce and Lucy are more similar because I (laughs) feel like it would always be like that growing up. Like, I feel like we are so similar. We're like, let's go do things. What do you want to do next? What what, what can we do? What can we do? Want to play cards? What kind of cards? Want to play math? And they're like, (laughs) they're like, can we just like chill for a second? (laughs) Can you slow down? Yeah. (laughs) The dichotomy is hilarious, but you know, that's all right. Okay. So your quote, you have a quote for us. Um, yes, it's more of, um, so I, this is no surprise that this is where I'm going to go with it. Um, but I, my quote and something I'm living by is, um, we need to arrest the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor. Um, that includes Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankinson and Miles Cosgrove. Um, that needs to happen, you know, now, uh, I don't care about a settlement. I don't care about like, yeah, great. I'm really happy her family got money, but that's not the justice. I think Mm -hmm. uh, she nor the entire black community deserves. So that's going to be, I am so happy you said that that is so important and goes with a lot of what I know we'll be talking about later. And that just made me think of how in my episode last week, I was talking about how I wanted to take like the quote or saying of each episode and sort of like promote that with the episode out of my Instagram story to like promote the episode. And I'm literally using that because that's something that everybody needs to see again and be reminded of, you know? Yeah. That needs, yeah, that, um, that should not lose speed. Like what is the holdup? Like what is actually taking, I don't understand. Um, uh, years and years and years of systemic oppression and racism, I'd say was probably where that's coming from. (laughs) That's probably the reason. Yeah. Too many systems of privilege. What can we do uh, other than dismantle them? Yep. I know. I know. And I feel like I giggle and it's like obviously so serious and it's probably just because it's like uncomfortable deep down to hear. And obviously like I'm sure everyone can recognize and maybe they've heard me talk about and I made an episode before all about racism and like how much I was just learning and like educating myself. And I'm like, I need to start this off by recognizing how privileged I am. Like you guys know, listening, I am a white female in like just that in itself. I'm so privileged. It's almost like when you're little growing up, you don't realize, and then you start learning and realizing things and you're like, oh my gosh, like the I don't know, like how the world works, you know? Absolutely. It starts getting pointed out to you. It starts becoming more noticeable. And I I think that's a great point too, Gretchen. Like I will make jokes throughout this. And for anyone um, that is listening, please keep in mind, I am not joking about this because I think anything of what I'm talking about isn't serious. I think this is all really serious. Um, But I am the type that processes things that make me anxious, things that kind of are uncomfortable with humor. Um, I think one, it's an effective way to get people comfortable talking about it because otherwise it feels like either a lecture or it feels like, um, you know, it's, it's scary. And granted, we need to sit with that discomfort. I'm not saying we need to make everything comfortable. I mean, 
we're two white women. We need to sit, we need to make sure we're sitting in our discomfort as well. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, I think also I'm just giving that disclaimer that if I make a joke, it's not because I don't think this is serious. Um, and I just like to mm-hmm. say that at the top. And also I'd get in big trouble if I didn't say, um, I do not represent the views of UNH. I represent <laughs> the views of Andrea as a, an employee at UNH, not necessarily <laughs> their views directly. Yeah. I need to throw <laughs> that in there. <laughs> a little, little liability claim. <laughs> Yeah. And I just think that's so important to mention, like we've been saying, just know that the point of this episode is to be such an inclusive space. Like Andrew and I were talking about this before recording. And I think she can speak to that a lot and can teach us a lot. And I just don't want anything that we're saying to offend you. I don't think it will, but like, just don't take anything the wrong way. Know that we're, you know, coming at this with like the best intentions and to just sort of like open the discussion and keep it going because I think the Black Lives Matter movement became so prevalent during the pandemic with everything going on, but it's like, we all know how important it is and don't want it to lose traction. And so I think it's that much more important to keep talking about it. Definitely. And also to your point, Gretch, when we're talking about intention, if we do say something wrong, like if, if you call me out in a way that, you know, I can teach me something again, civil discourse is like the most important thing, having conversations around educating one another. I'm always open to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, normalizing, changing your opinion when new information is presented. Um, that would have been my second quote that I love to live by. Um, just I because, love that. yeah, me too. And it's one of those things like if, like, even if I have the best intentions, but I have poor impact, I love to hear that so that I can do better next time and understand impact. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, especially Gretchen, when you're giving such like a valuable platform um, for me to speak on, I, I don't want to do um, any kind of disjustice to those that, you know, have different experiences than I do or, you know, yeah. disagree with what I have to say. So I mm-hmm. think there's kind of a lot of moving parts here. And again, this is aspiring to kind of just be better, right? We don't get to decide that we are better. We just decide that we want to be better. And I think that's good that you said that because if anyone is like, oh, like they're saying this phrase or term, like really they could be saying it in this way, which would be better. Like I love when people hold me accountable. They always do. And it teaches me when people are bad with like constructive criticism, like Mm -hmm. I try to be really good with it because I'm like, you're pointing this out for a reason to like teach me and you're holding me accountable. So thanks, you know, like I appreciate it. And even if it makes you uncomfortable sitting in that discomfort, being like, oh, I did mess up. That makes me feel weird, which makes me want to learn more. So I stopped feeling weird. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? No, I almost feel like maybe it's just what I see on Instagram, but I feel like I don't see enough like sharing of important things that are still going on. And I am first to blame, you know, like I can say that I haven't either because it, you so quickly can just slip back into like what you're comfortable with and what you've been doing before. And it's like, I need to keep that pressure on myself to, you know, like speak up for what I know is right. And like, I mean, this is different, but I don't know why I'm just like thinking of this now. But when I moved to Pennsylvania, so many people were like, Hey, I know you like just announced you're moving to Pennsylvania, but by the way, um, you need to change your voter registration and vote there because it's a swing state. Like, yes, yes, you have to, it's really important. And I was like, whoa, I like didn't even think of that. And I changed my voter registration. Yes, so nice. Good. Yes. Yeah, I'm just Voting like happy prepared. about that. Yeah, no, definitely. I get that. And I think also it's also about changing your feed a little bit, like so that you start seeing more, right? So what I can do is I can actually, um, either you put them in the 
like caption box or like whatever description. Yeah. Yeah. Because a big thing for me is when I'm talking about this stuff today, I'm talking about it, totally understanding my role in it. Right. That I am, you know, not a person of color. I don't like, I don't understand the discrimination um, on a level that many people um, have to, and they can't opt out of. And so a big thing that I've been trying to do is, you know, the amplification of people, not only who are like very familiar with and engaged in the space, but also just the amplification of voices that have been oppressed for so long. So I will definitely share some sources to point people in some different directions, you know, change up and diversify your feed. Um, It's psychologically proven that you're bound to become friends with people who look like you. Um, And I think that obviously is fraught with social norms and whatnot, but we don't have to get into the philosophy of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in general, like just diversifying your feed and making sure that you're, you're not absorbing all of the same content and, you know, seeing and reinforcing all norms by the people that you follow. I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of important to kind of move away from that. Scrolling through my feed, I'm actually learning something new and it's like educating me in a way and I can like push myself to do that instead of scrolling past pictures of dogs all day. Yeah. Those are good too, though. We, we talked a little bit earlier and I know we'll get into it later, you know, knowing when your brain needs a break because at some point absorbing, absorbing, absorbing makes you a little less effective. Um, so yes. taking care of yourself and that balance as well. So, you know, for yes. every three or four anti-racist posts, I love to see a good puppy post. Uh, <laughs> so I totally get it. Yeah, it can be like, educating overflow I don't even know where your mind is like mush and you're like wait I'm not even like absorbing anymore like yeah like how it is in school when you're learning you're like okay this is a three-hour lecture and like my brain has turned off you know precisely (laughs) totally get it before we get into that this is like personal you guys but I just want you to hear more from Andrea about like her personally because I know a lot of you can relate to her and I think it's important to mention how we were talking about how my friend Aaron saying this, like, why do I have to come out? Like, he's like, Mm -hmm. I never really came out. All my straight friends don't have to come out. Why do I have to come out as gay? You know, like, why? Totally. And I think that's something that's so, like, ingrained in people's head, like, coming out, like, this person came out, or you know? Mm -hmm. But it's like, why why do we think that way? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting. And Uh, to give a little background to what Gretchen was saying, she had um, said, what if we named this episode Finding Yourself? And I said, well, I think finding yourself kind of insinuates that you were lost at one point, right? And nobody's expected Mm -hmm. to find themselves as straight. So that's kind of where that comes from. And it's something like, yeah, finding yourself is a part of any coming of age novel. You can find yourself in totally different areas. But when it comes to, you know, my experience, that's not really how I saw it. And that's why, you know, it's really important that I harp on this is my experience, what I'm going to tell you about. LGBTQ plus experiences do not always match one another. I'm going to go mm-hmm. as far as saying they never match one another. There will always be, you know, some similarities and whatnot, maybe some responses that you get from people that are similar, but across the board, everyone has a different process. And, you know, some people love coming out for them. That was like them find like a self-assurance for them. It was, you know, t- them stepping into the world. And I think it's important that, you know, some people don't want to come out. They're like, I don't want to talk about it. Other people are like, no, this is something I need you to know about me for me to feel like I'm fully in the room. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting how different people interact with the spaces that they're in, um, but also how different people have preferences for like what that says. Like, I think some people would have said, no, finding, finding myself fits the mold and you know, what my experience was perfectly. I personally Mm -hmm. don't feel that way, but that doesn't mean someone else doesn't. So 
I think one thing while I'm talking today, don't assume that this is the experience of anyone that you've heard <laughs> that you haven't talked to or anything like that. And it's about kind of asking questions to make sure you can have like a whole a holistic understanding. But yeah, I guess uh, I gave it away a little bit. Uh, we're here and we're queer. Uh, <laughs> I identify as queer for a long time. Um, I I used to just tell people that I was a lesbian. I really don't like that word. Um, I think it carries mm. negative connotations, unfortunately. Um, I also don't like the word bi because it carries negative connotations sometimes. I respect anyone that decides to use those just personally. Like I felt like I was either limited or in a box. Um, I usually say I identify as queer. All of it is a spectrum. You know what I mean? So when it comes to sexuality, I'm pretty close to fully homosexual, but you know, somebody maybe once in a while will be able to sweep me off my feet and that's cool. Um, <laughs> but also um, I consider myself biromantic. So I will go on a date and have like great energy with a guy too and that's just something so that is why I tend to lean with the word queer and I don't like bisexual because I'm not often sexual with either um so I think it's really important when you're talking to people in the LGBTQ plus community that you ask like specifically what they identify as and I'll just start by saying that because it's a process too like I said I just kind of almost recently within the last couple months decided that queer was the word for me. Um, mm -hmm. Some people don't like the word queer because of what it used to mean and how it used to be an insult. Um, I believe in reclaiming the word and saying like, no, like that, that's how I, how I feel I fit into this whole bubble of things. So mm -hmm. yeah, I guess that's a, hey everyone, <laughs> um, that's, that's where we'll start. I'll say that that's kind of part of the reason that I'm so interested in this work. I think that's so important to say that to you. It was never like, oh, like, like a big talk on like, okay, so now this is my sexuality mm -hmm. or this is what I want to, you know, I feel like just all my friends in my life, I just always, they're just who they are and I just accept them how they are. And like, yeah. I'm always just like their cheerleader, like you do you, like why mm -hmm. would I concern myself with what, do you know what I mean? Definitely. And I don't know, just, I mean, maybe that's just very like liberal and like 23 year old of me, but I just like, don't, I just don't understand when people have like issues with any of that. It's like, it literally doesn't concern you. And it's um, interesting too. It's like kind of interesting to learn about that. Like I love meeting people with identities that I've never heard of before. And I'm like, mm -hmm. teach me. Right. Because I think also like, I didn't know that biromantic was like technically an identity until someone told me about it. And yeah, I, was like, yeah, I don't think I ever heard really of that. Yeah. So there's like your romantic attraction and your sexual attraction. And it's funny because I feel like um, I had a few friends that were the opposite way. They're like, well, I'll hook up with a girl, but I'm not going to date her. And it's like, well, then you are like the opposite. You are hetero romantic and you are like bisexual. So there That's are, so or, or wherever they lie, you know what I mean? That doesn't necessarily mean like you want to hook up with someone that doesn't put you into a box. And that's one of the beauties of identities too, is you get to like in this space, you decide how you identify, right? Like nobody can look at me and be like, you've been sleeping with girls for the last 10 years. Like you, my lady are a lesbian. I'm, you know what I mean? Like they, like that is my own decision, um, which I think is kind of a beautiful thing about the acceptance we're starting to see. Um, but at the same time, it makes some of these spaces more difficult for other people to enter because, because of that black and white, like that binary idea of like, you are either this way or you are that mm -hmm. way. And like breaking the mold to understand, I would say everything's on a spectrum. Like, you know what I mean? There is no, you know, all the way, yeah. all the way one way or the other. I mean, there's um, this thing called the gender bread man. And if you look it up later, it's really cool. And it, and it 
kind of describes all the different areas of, you know, where you may fall on spectrums um, in the LGBTQ plus space. So mm -hmm. I just, it's stuff like that. I think it's really fascinating. And that's how I learned about it was actually seeing that in front of me. And it says like, where do you fall on this? And it's the same thing with gender expression versus gender identity and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So um, like my gender expression is typically somewhere like I'm, I do not dress um, in a super feminine way. I typically dress more androgynous, but it depends on the day where I fall on that spectrum too, right? So it's mm -hmm. um, interesting to get to decide that for you. So, and it changes over the years, like I've said, so. I love where you're going with all this because I feel like so many people may think of themselves as checking a box and like, oh, I'm this. So like, I have to do this and think this way and date this person and look like this and act like this and whatever. And I would agree with you that, most people aren't like that actually. And it is like a spectrum mm -hmm. and like everyone's so different in their different preferences and like things that I didn't even know about. Oh my gosh, I'm going to say it wrong, but you can be romantically one way mm -hmm. and identify another way. Like there's yeah. so many different like variations. And I feel like people just think of it. So can be so, I don't even know the word like structured with it or like concrete yeah. Well, traditional yeah, ideas. Exactly. People assume if you have, you know, um, you know, you're assigned sex at birth that assumes gender, which it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> gender is a social construct, right? But like, they assume that that means that they assume that being um, homosexual means that you also, you know, are homo romantic, you know what I mean? There's all of these different pieces that when you actually sort through it, there's, there's just so many possibilities. And that's kind of the beauty of the differences between people, because not mm -hmm. one person has the same experience. Um, and that's why I start with like, hey, this is my experience, like if yours doesn't align, you know, that doesn't mean you're not in this community. That doesn't, we could even identify the exact same way and have completely different perceptions of what that means for us. I had a really close friend in college and I remember we were talking about all these boys and I was like, oh, like, which one do you think is cute or whatever? Like, I'm talking about all these cute boys all the time. And she was like, oh, Gretchen, actually I have um, something to talk to you about. And I was like, what? And she was like, I have a girlfriend back home. We've been dating for three years. And I was like, I was about to say her name, but I guess I won't say it in case. But I was just like, blank why did, oh my god why didn't you tell me that like what how did I not know this like I just mm -hmm. thought you always said you were just best friends from back home and she was like I know well now I just I guess we like won't be friends anymore and I'm like what the heck are you talking about yeah and she's like I get it like if you don't want to be my friend and I could literally cry because it just breaks my heart like I just feel like I can think of so many instances where something like this has happened in my life or I also had a family member that transitioned and I feel like had a very similar situation with their job they were like oh I just assume that I won't be able to stay in this position anymore because of my transition and it's like that freaking breaks my heart that mm -hmm. people feel this way so strongly that people won't be accepting of them and I'm like I lo love you even more now because you are sharing that like something that's so vulnerable within you like something that you haven't told most people like you're sharing that with me and that makes me feel even closer to you you know yeah definitely and I think it also goes to show, though, that a lot of people do have at least a few negative experiences with it. I mean, I, I face microaggressions all the time. And I want to clear something up really quick while I use the word microaggression. Microaggression does not mean a smaller, a, a smaller instant of, like, of a type of ism, right? So a microaggression in the form of racism, microaggression is still racism. But when you're talking about micro, it's not the magnitude of the aggression. It is the level of which it's happening. So micro means like person to person, where macro mm -hmm. is usually more on the um, systemic level or something like that. So just when I say that, like micro doesn't mean it's small and microaggression is 
just as impactful, sometimes more impactful than, you know, those bigger events. So as I use that throughout this, I like to clear that up because there's a lot of new literature around microaggression not being like the right type of word for it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's totally valid as well, but I use it in that frame. So if I bring that up, just know that that's kind of the direction I'm going with it. So, I mean, I guess I'll move into talking a little bit more about like how I came to where I am today. Again, not, uh, not to make assumptions about other people's experiences, but I know a lot of people might have known sooner than I did, or maybe didn't know until later. And there are a lot of people that, you know, find out in different ways. So for instance, I have friends that as soon as they went through puberty were like, I know that I like girls. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were right spot into that. Um, they understood themselves. Maybe they didn't act on it right away. Maybe they kind of pondered with it for a while, but they knew that about themselves. Um, I dated boys, Gretchen and Gretchen will know. I, I loved dating boys um, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So um, there's definitely like a different experience for me where I um, this is actually a funny story, Gretchen. I don't know if I've told you this. So I was, um, like enemies with this girl on my softball team. Like I'm talking at practice. <laughs> we like would cause physical harm to each other. <laughs> like, like she, we were both, um, catchers on the team and we'd go to like different catching clinics. And I will never forget one time she like pushed me over and said like, I'm going to go cow tipping. And I fell to the ground and I kicked her legs out from under her and I go, yeah, well, I'm going to go bitch tipping. And I literally like, <gasps> This is something that actually happened and we were we were too young to be doing that kind of shit. <laughs> but we were like super enemies. And then I got her phone number like sometime in my sophomore year, I think. Yeah. And then so she mentioned something about going on, like she was going on a trip and I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. And she's like, do you want to come? We had never hung out before. And then that was like the spark to becoming best friends. Um, Wait, that's crazy. It was really, we hated each other. Because we so hated her before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we did. And so the funny part of it is I always say like, oh, you're surprised that I dated someone that I hated. Imagine being our softball coaches and being like, you guys, we used, you used to be a liability. And now you guys yeah. are inseparable. Super weird. Um, we used to have to separate you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and now you have to separate us for a different reason. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> I actually, so I found out about myself. I was actually dating a guy at the time and I was like, this is so weird. Why do I really enjoy texting this girl? Like, why is it like she texts me and I'm excited? I was like, oh, I'm such mm -hmm. a dweeb. Like, this is so weird. Um, and I think it was one of those things that slowly built. So I was really, I didn't know. We started like holding hands really casually. We started like snuggling when we had sleep. Like, you know what I mean? It like slowly approached. Um, I, I always joke like, it it rolled into something very slowly, but when it finally did, it was like, okay, this has been, the buildup has gone on for so long that like the second we kissed, which hilarious was on Halloween. And I do not recommend anyone having their anniversary on Halloween because <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you're that age, month, like month anniversaries are kind of fun and the 31st doesn't happen every month. So, uh, <laughs> oh wait, you're so right. Yeah. Um, I guess it's better than having it on a leap year, but you know, you lose <laughs> you're some. like, okay, it's the 30th. Like, I guess this is close enough. I guess it is. Yeah. Midnight between those two days, we need to say it, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So then we just like, we started basically dating and we didn't tell anyone about it. Um, people didn't know people didn't ask really. Um, and that was, that was okay with us, right? Because we were just best friends that lived in this space. <laughs> oh, we got to go to the Caribbean together. Um, and her parents didn't know at the time. And we may or may not have had our own hotel room. Hilarious. <laughs> what, a, what a move. Um, 
<laughs> okay, my friend was saying similar things. She was like, but it was kind of ideal because then everyone just assumes you're best friends and don't. And when you're younger and your parents would normally be like, okay, we have to like separate them or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's kind of like ideal. <laughs> like, like just a little bit. I will say that was a, that was kind of nice, but I will say it was um, after we went to the Caribbean, when we came home, um, we had told very few people at that point. I had told my sister, um, Joyce, I think I had told my softball coach at the time. Um, and I had told one other friend or something like that. Um, and how it came out was a classic little story of the iCloud. Um, because yeah, she was away on a trip and when we were in the Caribbean, I had logged into her mom's iPad or she had logged into her mom's iPad to be able to send my parents a text saying like, Oh, I'm safe. Like I'm having a lot of fun. Um, who would know that that was going to bite me in the ass this many months later. Um, but her mom was playing candy crush and kept hearing like little pings in the background. And it was me texting my girlfriend at the time. And I was actually telling her all about how it went telling my sister that we were together. So she got the whole story. She got like, her mom got the whole story. So. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So she, when she got home, um, her mom actually said like, we know what's going on with your friend. Um, and this stuck out to me a lot because from then on out, they didn't use my name again. They only referred to me as your friend. Um, even when I was there, which was really sad. Cause they like, are you as- kidding me? It's okay. Like uh, parents have to process at their own pace too. I mean, it's tough because there's no manual to having a queer child. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's tough and you know, I'm not excusing the impact that that had, but I don't, I know now that they support her full, like wholeheartedly. I think it was just mm-hmm. a shock. I think they felt a little bit used because, you know, I'd gone on vacations with them. And so I think they yeah. felt like they had been lied to. And I don't, you know, being lied to isn't fun, especially with like people you really love and care about. So like your kids, you were so like accepting and nice. You're like, oh, that's how she processes it. I would be like, no, I'm going to call you like the lady from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Get no, out of here. I, if you think I was nice at the time, no, no, no. Andrea's <laughs> matured. Um, no, I, uh, it was really tough though, because, you know, I will never forget. We went out to um, eat for her brother's graduation. And when we came home, like we, they wanted to talk to us about it. And we sat down and they did not sit down across the table from us. They stood up across from us and, you know, we got a big lecture about it. And yelled. Yeah, it was that. not, it was not a good night. And I think that was one of those times for me that I realized like, okay, this isn't going to go the same way for everyone. And I, I knew mm-hmm. that, but I think there was this blissful ignorance I had. I have very accepting parents. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, I, <laughs> I told my mom by calling her in and say, Hey, you know, blank and I are dating. Right. And she goes, yeah. Do you want me to tell dad? And I was like, sure. And it was just like, that was it. Yeah, like, yeah whatever. Yeah, whatever. Cool. <laughs> you know? Um, and she, <laughs> she goes, so am I supposed to let you guys still have sleepovers? I was like, well, I can't have a kid. So, um, but you're like, I think so. I think that's good with me. <laughs> Looking back on it now, if I had a daughter or a son that told me they were gay, I also would not let them have sleepovers. So looking back on it with that experience, yeah. but that's a personal, that's a personal thing, I guess. Um, yeah. But I don't know. So it was a pretty, t- I remember that being a really tough night because I got blamed for kind of doing that to her daughter. And again, it's just oh. processing. It's just processing. And Many years later, I saw them again, and we actually talked about it because I went to her brother's wedding, and Mm -hmm. we talked about it, and we had a really good conversation around like, hey, I was wrong. You were wrong. We were all wrong. Um, And It's not like she meant it at the time. It was just like emotional, obviously. Oh, she meant it, but she just didn't know that she probably shouldn't mean it. You know what I mean? So I think later on, um, but that's actually how I came out. Um, And again, I, I, that was like, 
in an, an unofficial way. I usually only use coming out when I talk about my parents because that was kind of the big um, leap. I actually had wanted to tell people the whole time, um, but mm-hmm. you know, my significant other at the time, obviously for fair reasons, now that you've heard the story, didn't want to, mm-hmm. um, was really worried about it. So so yeah, I, I waited and then that summer I started telling some of my softball team um, and these were girls I didn't know that well. So it was like a slow, I actually told people I didn't know that well before I started telling people that were really close to me. It was almost like I was getting was used easier. to having those conversations. Yeah. I, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what? You, if you don't like my response, <laughs> the first time I uh, said something was on to a girl on my softball team is she was talking about two girls, two friends on like the sister team that we had. And she goes, I think they're dating. And I was like, I I knew that they were. And I was like, I was like, I don't wait. What do you mean? Why do you, why do you think that she goes, I don't know. I think they're dating and I can see it from her, but not from, not from the other one. Um, you know, she's just so pretty. And I go, I go, Jordan, do you think I'm pretty? And she goes, yeah, I think you're gorgeous. I go, I'm gay as fuck. (laughs) And that was actually like how I came out to like someone like that, that I wasn't that close to for the first time. And that's when I started, that's how I kind of got to the point of just dropping it in conversations because I started using it as my mission, not because I wanted everyone to know I was gay. Well, I wanted people to know because it makes me feel like I'm actually active in the space when you know who I am because um, mm-hmm. it's such a big part of my personality. But more so, it was like, check your bias. Like, mm-hmm. hey, like I, like I remember getting a lot of satisfaction out of watching people check their bias, see themselves surprised, realize that like- Like that, that girl. Expecting. Mm-hmm. And so- it's, I even did it the other day in front with all of my peer advisors. I, we were talking about um, the diversity, equity, inclusion meeting that we hosted this week. And I said something and I was like being a queer at UNH and I saw a lot of faces drop. And I was like, this is exactly why we talk about it. Like, not because they're offended that I am or that it's just surprised. And it's about trying Mm -hmm. to like strip assumptions from people. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I will say that that's how I kind of came out to people for a while. I would just drop it into conversation. I would say it in class at school. Um, and then people started to kind of slowly find out. Um, and yeah. And then as I was dating other people, I would tell people about, Oh, my girlfriend, like I would use words like that. And mm-hmm. just, I rolled it out in a very slow roll. I never did the big Facebook post or Instagram post. I mm-hmm. respect everyone that does. I think that's an easy, like not easy, easy isn't the word, but there are different approaches. There's a blanket approach. There's a slow roll. There is like, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways that people can do it, or you don't have to come out at all. Like you were saying yeah. earlier, your friend that was like, no, no, no. Um, yeah. And that's so like, I just feel like talking about it is making it even more clear to me, like how much people do assume, like, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you encounter it all the time. People just assuming things. And like with the girl you were saying, like, do you think I'm pretty? You're like, hello, like I have a girlfriend. Like, why would you ever say mm-hmm. that? And it's like, she probably didn't even like think about it or didn't yeah. realize that she was like thinking in this way. Mm-hmm. And that's just crazy that you like have to encounter that all the time. And yeah. like, I wish it was just a world where like everyone was just like doing them and you know, like it didn't matter almost. Yeah. But I will say I'm hopeful because the people that I tell it to as I get older and as like, it's a, you know, an older audience that I'm also talking to, it has mm-hmm. become just like, a, Oh, cool. Like, like no hesitation. Like I said, there are still the people that get really smart. They're like, Whoa, I didn't know that. And I think that's why it's, it's good to see that some people have no reaction now. Mm-hmm. That feels nice. Um, but the people that have that bigger reaction, it's like, why did you have that? Like, I know you accept me, but why did you have that reaction? Right. Yeah. Um, like, why are we thinking this way? And I 
know. I feel lucky that we're younger and that like, I think younger generations are like better with this and almost like maybe they like learn in school or parents are more liberal or I don't even know the right word to like teach them how to be like accepting human beings almost. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I can think of like maybe our grandparents or people older in our family. Like it was just such a different time. And I think about my close friend at BU that came out to me and thought that we weren't going to be able to be friends anymore. Mm -hmm. And then when finally her family found out, it was like the big lecture, the parents standing up, yelling at them, being Mm -hmm. like, God hates you. Like Mm -hmm. really, really just, I don't even know, like traditional, like old views down South, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, what are, come on people. It's 2020. Like, yeah, Uh, definitely. And I think it's really powerful too, because like, while we are empowered by information to like help other groups, it's also like, I have taken it on myself to try to understand the negative perceptions as well. So I, I, Gretchen, I dead ass read the Bible, like the parts that people would actually use as an argument against me. Yes. And I don't need to dive into it too much, but it is the most, <sighs> anyone that has used birth control has also committed the same sin that I have, which is the inability, like having intercourse without the intention of children. So if you've ever yeah. used a condom, welcome to my sin. Um, <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know You're what else to me. say to you. Welcome. <laughs> with the Wait, I, feel like, like, <laughs> I feel like we literally talked about this like back in January. You were like, no, like I legit read the Bible. Like I read, like, I read what people were trying to use against me. And I was like, no, 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 no. And like, I am someone that's really empowered by knowledge and kind of being able to like actually like dissect what people are saying. Um, But that was really important to me because I wanted to be able to have those conversations and I wanted to be able to stick up for people that, you know, are less comfortable. So for instance, I have plenty of friends that did not come out to their parents, have not come out to their parents yet. Um, Mm -hmm. As I talk about this, I also, (laughs) I have um, a lot of friends, like most of my friends, I would say um, are LGBTQ plus. I, I don't know how it happened. (laughs) Um, It's like, I love it. And I think it's part of that. Like you become friends with people who have had similar experiences to you um, and kind Mm -hmm. of mirror your experiences. But so when I'm saying like, I have friends who it's not all the same friend, don't worry. (laughs) I just don't want it to sound like I have one friend who's had it it rough, you know? Um, No, we all have different (laughs) Who's gone through everything. Yeah. Every example pertains to them. Um, (laughs) No, but I have friends that like didn't have the same luxury of being able to speak out. So in the opportunities that I have to try and combat some of that bullshit that people have coming out of their mouths, like I think it's, I think the community is better off for it. Um, I think I'm better off for it because I feel empowered to continue having those conversations and it's, it's good practice for civil discourse, right? Keeping your cool, making sure that conversation, while it is the most personal conversation you may have, it is based in truth. It's based in facts. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're able to kind of push through. So I love that you were so confident and outspoken and just like sure of yourself because I seriously like so many people I feel like feel similar to you but like would be like nervous in situations to speak up or you know what I mean like question people like why did you just react in that way and like I love that you do that. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's not easy. And I will say I'm not perfect. Um, I, I should have led at the top at that. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time too. And I think I am comfortable speaking because I know that I'll make mistakes and I've accepted that as long as I have also fully committed to growing from the mistakes I make or the things that I need to correct myself on. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a couple things I always try to ask people, like, what are things that you're working on in this space? One thing for me, I say, hey, guys, all the time. 
trying to cut that out. Let's go with hey y'all, hey people. I've I've transitioned to hey party people, and I don't know that it works for me, but we're we're working we're we're seeing where that goes. Um, but like there are things like that that I'll catch myself with, and I'm like, okay, that's something I want to work on this week. I want to kind of kick myself when I hear myself say that, so I can move back from it. Um, other mm-hmm. things like making sure I introduce myself with my pronouns. Um, I do it a, like it's always in my signature. It's in my Instagram bio, all of that, but making sure I'm going to introduce myself with my pronouns so that if someone wants to share theirs, they don't feel like they're, you know, having to break the mold of the conversation that's yeah. already happened. Like you're opening that up. And I know, I noticed you did that at the beginning of our podcast and I love that. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, it means, you know, it, I think just in general, I, I like being able to talk about it so people also know they can talk to me about it. So mm-hmm. if I'm openly talking about it and open to learning, I hope that people feel comfortable correcting me as well. Um, Cause that's, you know, who's going to grow if nobody's, if nobody's okay with a little bit of confrontation based on, you know, yeah. information that you have or opinions that you have. You are like wise beyond your years because you're like, <laughs> Oh, like saying that you're so confident in speaking and like speaking so openly because you know you'll mess up and you want to grow from that like that takes some real like maturity thank you yeah well and it's fun when people challenge me too like some of my peer advisors oh my gosh they are just so badass I you know I love learning from them they will throw it right back at me if I say something like I didn't like the way you handled that and I'm like teach me like I love I love that and I think part of it too was um I got a little bit of philosophy major in me so uh, (laughs) talking in circles about things a little bit my jam. So I love that we just talked all about that because our listeners may know what we're getting at is we want to talk to us about being a better ally and just all about that. And I feel like I know a little about that and I've um, been held accountable and I've been corrected and saying things like being an ally and people are like, no, you can't say that. Like you can't self-identify. And so I feel like I've learned along the way and we just felt like for this episode, you guys, that talking about Andrea in specific and her personally and making it such an inclusive space, like we can talk about people in marginalized communities in the US, I guess it affects the whole world mm-hmm. um, and just spaces that they have felt not included in and just being a better ally. Definitely. Um, and when Gretchen and I talked about this, I say, like, I feel like I have more authority to speak to my experiences. So I definitely have um, insight into kind of what allyship means to me as a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I will talk a little bit about allyship for, you know, other marginalized communities, but just know that, you know, I am not the main source of information. I want people to make sure that if you hear things that I say and you know you want to learn more about them, go dig in, um, go find this. A lot of the things that I'm saying, I've learned from um, BIPOC um, people who are ready to teach. And one of the main things about ally, aspiring allyship, um, well, there's two main things I want to say before I dive in. Allyship, it's it's an like as Gretchen said, you're aspiring to be an ally, right? It's a verb. You you know you can't just be like I am an ally, um, because that's not up to you, right? That the, like the community that you feel you are in solidarity with is the one who gets to decide who's allies and whether or not you know you're aspiring to be one is like the only thing you can do to try and get there. Well, I have a question for you because yeah. I remember a discussion going on in one. I think it was one of my Instagram post comments, and someone was saying how they knew that they were an ally to the LGBTQ plus community, but they felt like that was different than being an ally to other marginalized communities, the black community in America. And that, that being an ally for that community, they couldn't self-identify, but for LGBTQ plus you can self-identify. So what do you think about all of this? 
I tend to think no. Um, I tend yeah. to think that it's always like, I don't think, because if you say I'm an ally and then you go out and you do some even like, you know, implicit bias, you go out and you have some, like that's not allyship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has to be active. Um, I always talk about neutrality. So people who are like, I'm not political. That, like that is a, like saying you're not political is saying that like that is a political stance. That is saying you are willing yeah. to uphold the norms or what, like you're accepting it um, and kind of mm-hmm. what's going on. And so for me, people who, believe that they're an ally, you know, I, I, I just, I think it has to be something you're always aspiring to be. I don't think it's something that you can ever fully be, especially when everything's changing all the time. Um, and mm-hmm. racism in particular in white fragility, Robin D'Angelo talks a lot about how racism is very fluid. So over the years, we find different ways to frame racism that makes white people more comfortable to basically dive into, you know, our, our fragility, like where we are fragile beings when it comes to, you know, understanding what is wrong with us. Um, and I think that when you're talking about allyship in that sense, like there is never a point where I can say I am fully acting as, you know, an ally because I, at any point in time, that would be mean me being like anti-racist at all times, every action I take being an anti-racist one. Um, mm-hmm. And let's face it, like not everyone does that. Right. So, you know, I try my best to um, shop at black owned businesses. Do I have the ability to do that all the time? No, I'm from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, go to Cup of Joe. Um, that is a black owned business in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, if you are familiar with the area. Um, but like, I don't have the option to do that all the time. So it's, it's, it's constantly trying to be anti-discriminatory and that plays into, you know, I'm being like anti-heteronormative or I'm being like, there's just so many, so many different ways that we have to keep working. And I think the second that you can call yourself a solid ally, you stall. Um, and again, Mm -hmm. people will have different perceptions of that, um, and all of that, but there's this fun thing, um, that I read and, It's this thing where it says, I recently saw a tweet that went something like this. Reading about anti-racism doesn't make you an anti-racist. And the defensive response that the person immediately had was, is this putting people down for reading about anti-racism? And then realized if you replaced anti-racism with mountain climbing, it would sound like reading about mountain climbing doesn't make you a mountain climber. So, so true. Yes. So allyship, right? So you can take that first step, but you know, where, where do you keep, how do you keep going forward? Um, one thing that I also had one perspective on um, shared with me and I, I will find the video and I can send you a few of these just so that the links are all there, but they talked about the difference between being awake, being woke and doing the work. And this was a really impactful thing for me. And I think um, it's important for a lot of people to notice. So being awake, recognizing that the murder of George Floyd and all of the systemic racism that has been happening that has come out in the forms of police brutality um, and other kind of forms of discrimination, understanding it's wrong. That's being awake. A lot of people woke up for the first time um, when this happened. It's, you know, people were not paying attention. That woke a lot Mm -hmm. of people up, right? Those people aren't necessarily woke, right? there's like different steps to getting there. And I think that with the way that kind of racism shapes and it changes as we move forward and it makes people like more comfortable, like we switched from calling it racism to calling it microaggressions because that made it seem less serious and like all of that and how it's also fluid. You can't say that you are a full ally if you're not 
constantly doing the work. And I just, I don't, I just think that static word, putting it to it, like, I, I just don't think that with any marginalized community, that's kind of a fair way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. Because you got to, you got to actively do the work, you know? And That makes so much sense. And when you say examples, like the reading about um, mountain climbing, and then suddenly you're a mountain climber, like, that's not how it works. Like, did you put in the work to get there? No, no, no. Like, no, no, no. Let's yeah. keep going. That makes so much sense. And I feel like that is such a clear way to explain to listeners about why you can't self-identify as an ally like oh I'm an ally no we're good like it's all good like oh you didn't know I read a book yeah yeah exactly like um and that's from the Instagram account Ebon Flood Ebon Flood um so if anyone wants to go see that little thread that's where that's from there's also like when you're talking about allyship like socialization plays into all of this so we all have to recognize that we've been socialized to think a certain way um and I think that an aspiring ally recognizes their privilege too. Um, you know, you, you recognize the areas in which you have gained unearned benefits or rights just solely based on these things that you, you can't change. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that obviously kind of spirals into all of it. I read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi, and it was fascinating. Like it was so, there's so much to unpack about our own privilege and then the position that puts us into, you know, be anti-racist. Um, and one of the things that always sticks out to me is if you are neutral, like I said before, like you're not, you're not helping, um, it, the, the theory of colorblindness, it, it's bullshit. You know what I mean? That's just deciding to make yourself more comfortable. Colorblindness was another way to cater to that white fragility. Um, but also when, you're in this position of, you know, power, I'm air quoting, I know the, I know the listeners can't see that I'm air quoting, when you're in this position (laughs) of power, you know, what does that mean? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Um, And there are a couple different things. And I'm going to call myself out here. Um, One of the things is making sure that the space is being talked about by people within it. And I know right now that I am talking about um, racism as a white lady. um, And I am, I'm fully aware of that. Um, but the other piece of it is when you have a platform to use it, right? So Gretchen and I have this relationship. I think this is a really good platform to talk about this stuff. Um, and while I'm given this opportunity, I also want to say like it's also about awarding these opportunities to people that are actually experiencing it, which is why I say from the top, like I can speak more, um, more to the LGBT experience um, than I can, you know, people of color. I, I, at the end of the day, it's an experience I understand a little bit better, I know, but also talking about it. So like I said earlier, making sure that you're amplifying voices of people of color um, is really important. You know, shopping, like voting with your dollars, people, like be an aspiring ally by when you go to a new city and you're like, oh, I want to try a new place. Just look up online, especially on Instagram now, because it's everywhere, you know, black owned businesses in the area, put your allyship first. If you're an aspiring ally, like make sure you're going out of your way to do these things. Um, and opting out of the conversation is a luxury that I, I hate that we can be awarded. Right. Um, saying like, oh, this isn't a conversation I'm, I'm equipped to have right now. No, we have to start having these conversations and educating one another. And one of the best ways to do that and to be an aspiring ally is to learn how to have some, some discourse, like civil discourse that allows you to have these conversations with people that don't necessarily know what you do just yet. And they want, like, want to learn, or if they don't want to learn, like call out that racist uncle, like just do it. What's the worst that could happen? He gets mad at you. Mm-hmm. What? It's better. And he's he mad at you learning. than the entire. Yeah, exactly. Like he start learning. And if, Oh, it hurts your relationship. Well, you know, I got to tell you, maybe that will teach him something. There are just Mm -hmm. so many areas where people kind of step down because they don't feel like they're equipped to have the conversation. And sometimes it's okay to say that too. You can say, 
I just want to say that rubbed me the wrong way. I don't feel like I'm equipped to have this conversation with you, but from my understanding, X, Y, Z, right? So Mm -hmm. if they start coming at you, you kind of have that sense of, I'm trying to learn more too. I just hope that we're learning together Um, and trying to make sure the progress is always forward. um, Even if you're unsure of kind of where you're standing, still trying to take those steps forward. It doesn't, you don't have to be sprinting forward. I tell my peer advisors that all the time, like get it wrong but make sure that you're putting your best foot forward and just like in trying, you know what I mean? Cause the more you mm-hmm. practice these conversations, the easier they become. Um, yeah, I've called, I've called a couple people out, you know, and it's, it's going at it with a calm voice, right? Knowing civil discourse isn't, you know, you're a racist. It's what you just did was racist. And again, if those actions are repeated over and over like you're a racist, but like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's, there's trying to find those ways that, you can kind of address, you know, the things that matter to you. I feel like I have done that so many times Mm -hmm. where I feel the fire within me with like family members talking at like a gathering or whatever. And I'm like, I literally want to punch you in the face right now, but I'm trying to just like, keep it, keep it cool. Like keep it calm. But it's like, you know, you can feel in your heart what is right that's going on and what's Mm -hmm. so wrong, like right in front of you. Definitely. And people are allowed to feel how they feel too, right? Like some people will hear something and they'll be like, they'll be like, yeah, that made me feel, that made me feel super terrible. And I, and I don't, I I don't deal with that. I don't like that at all. And people will correct them. And other people will be like, I'm correcting you because I don't like the way it made me feel, but I in particular do not like the space that you're creating, you know, like, so I, for a long time and, you know, I'm not super proud of this. I let gay, gay jokes roll right over my shoulders. I was like, I would even laugh at them. You know what I mean? And then I realized, Mm -hmm. I was like, while this might not bother me and like my discomfort in my sexuality, all of that, I may like to deal with, with humor and like other people contributing that, contributing to that with me, like was an okay space for me. And then I realized I was like, no, because I don't want that, this space to seem uninclusive for someone who doesn't feel that way. And you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So it's kind of calling you like, calling situations out, not only for you, but for like other people that may enter the space, right? It's all about Mm -hmm. kind of creating those inclusive spaces um, in preparation, right? Because you don't know who you're, who you're kind of messing with their psyche with. Like you don't, you don't know, like there are plenty of things that I'll never forget, like that were said when I was younger that like stuck with me, but I didn't really know why that looking back, I'm like, did that prevent me from knowing who I was for longer? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, and those people this, that said that ha- would have had no idea or probably yeah. don't know now that it's stuck with you so long. Yeah. Like I remember um, someone saying like, is America ready for a gay president? It was a while ago. Someone said that to me and it made me, as I sat there and I was like, is America ready or are you ready? You know, yeah, I was it would like, be like ready. I don't ready. Know ready so does that, does that mean that like coming out, that means that, you know what I mean? There's just so many things that I remember hearing and being like, <sighs> even though I didn't know for a long time, right? It was like later on, I know hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, this is total sidebar, but I heard um someone say the other day that hindsight's twenty twenty was a warning. <laughs> People were like, they were like, that was a warning for year twenty twenty that we've been getting it wrong the whole time. That phrase wasn't like I was like, this is hilarious. Oh <laughs> my mind my felt gosh. like I was in an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that literally feels like some crazy, like, Inception stuff. Whoa, Andrea, yeah. my mind was just blown. Hindsight 2020 is a big, fat red flag that you yeah, want to make Yeah, we should have noticed it. What were we thinking? Yeah. 
It has nothing to do with the vision in the year 2020. It's so, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Sorry, I sidebarred there. But um, I think it's also important to point out that, um, you know, people have different forms of bias, right? So there's like, there's bias where it's like stereotyping, having some insensitive like remarks, maybe a belittling joke. Like that's, that's bias, right? That's, you know, you read something, you make an assumption and then you make, you know, 10 other assumptions based on that first one, right? It's like a spider web of, of assumptions. Um, and then there's actual acts of prejudice that are kind of the next step on that scale, which is, you know, bullying, um, name calling, social avoidance. That's a big one being like, eh, that person's not going to be in our group because mm, they're, they're different, right? Um, and then that rolls into discrimination. So that's more like, you know, we see discrimination in healthcare. We see it in like economic discrimination, political discrimination. We, we see it in a lot of places. So again, it's like you, to get to the point of discrimination, you have to be fostering the bias. That's at the bottom of the pyramid. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it keeps building on that and you can't have one without the other. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something really important to point out too, because after discrimination, you can have bias motivated violence. Um, that's, you know, murder, rape, the amount of, you know, women that are like women of color that are killed and it is handled differently. Like if any of you listen to true crime podcasts or any true crime, anything, you know, that those cases um, historically were handled very differently. You know, when it was a white woman or when it was a black woman, they were handled so differently. Um, And that's why so many, like, I'm totally going on a sidebar. I love true crime. There were like serial killers that got away with killing people for a long time because they were killing uh, women of color. It's how they got away with it for so long because people turned an eye to it and it was like, oh, that's normal. That's fine. And it's the same thing we're seeing with like police brutality right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And then up at the top of this lovely pyramid is genocide, which I don't need to get into very much, but this is how it all Mm builds, right? So like to, to have genocide, you need everything on on the bottom. And it it started somewhere. Exactly. And it starts in Mm -hmm. that bias. So breaking through your own bias, I have bias all the time. We like, you can't, you can't move away from your bias. You have it, but it's about Mm -hmm. having it, recognizing it and internalizing that mistake to change it the next time you go out, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's certain things that you can kind of work on within yourself to say, no, I, I want to break myself from making that assumption, even if it's a hard task, separating yourself so much from it that like, you know, practice makes perfect. Practice mm-hmm. makes better. Perfect is not attainable, but you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. really kind of moving towards that. When you said breaking your bias, that makes me think of what you were saying before, like, okay, there's awake and then there's woke and then there's action. So it's like, you realize that your bias is there and then you're like, Ooh, wait, I could work on this. And then you're like, okay, I'm actually like doing something. (laughs) Yeah. And doing the work, honestly, like being woke is like kind of like doing action in yourself. This is again, I don't decide what the word woke means at all. This is all from, I can give you the source for it so you can see it. But, um, and then doing work means like leading other people there. You know what I mean? Like bringing horses to the water and trying to get them to drink. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Like everything happens on like a, in a progress, right? You, you don't go from like, hey, I just woke up yesterday to I know everything about everything and I'm going to like apply it to my life. No, it has mm-hmm. to be a process, but because you have to do a lot of unlearning. Like it's not even mm-hmm. just like, you can't just forget the things that you have been reinforced like time after time in your life. Like it is, it is taking what you know and unlearning it and saying, that's not true. Let me look at these situations. Like for instance, someone looks at me and they assume that I'm straight because I, you know, I, I, I look, I look straight air quotes again for the party Mm -hmm. people listening. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I, 
people realizing like, oh, I made that judgment. Now, how do I get rid of that? Because if they keep seeing, if, if their own biases are proved wrong time and time again, and they're open to their biases being proved wrong, it becomes a lot easier to dismantle them, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously really important. So like I would always say, you know, allyship come, like runs in a lot of different ways, aspiring allyship, but starts with understanding your privilege. Like if you don't understand your privilege, you, you can't, you can't recognize where your social identity is within the space and you can't help. And that goes across any marginalized or like any identity period, you know, socioeconomic, Mm -hmm. um, ability and disability, uh, you know, race, ethnicity, all like all of the above gender, like understanding where you live within that social group and therefore kind of what, what role can you do to amplify, um, Mm -hmm. the goals of that group. Right. Um, Google search is your friend. And this was the thing that I couldn't remember. Um, the, that don't, don't ask people to explain things to you. Like the world is at your fingertips, often yeah. in your back pocket, or even sometimes on your wrist for all of you with smartwatches. The world is there for you to learn from. So like, if you don't know something, look it up. If I said something today that you didn't know, look it up. Like you can dive into this and even just get yourself a little bit more prepared to have these conversations and don't expect Mm -hmm. people that are marginalized to have to explain it to you. Like, um, I will never forget Mm -hmm. when I was in high school, again, these are some microaggressions, but everyone asking me like, how do lesbians have sex? I was like, first of all, use the internet. Second of all, what if I asked you that like at the lunch table? And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, using Google search and under to help yourself understand like someone, um, obviously if you're offering up information, if you're comfortable kind of having those conversations, you can open up the door to help like people feel comfortable with you telling them things, but it's never anyone's job to educate you on this because it is so easy. Like Google search is there. There's, mm-hmm. so, there are so many resources. Um, this is a big one. And again, this is something that, I was worried about doing this, but speak up, but not over. Um, so using your voice, but not not trampling the voices of others by using your own. Um, and then apologize when you mess up, right? So it's like, you mess up, I'm sorry. One of the big things that I always tell people too is don't try to center yourself when you're apologizing. It's not, oh my God, I feel so terrible that I made that mistake. I just, I feel awful. Like I, I really didn't want to make that mistake. And I just, and now I'm so anxious. And it's like, mm, mm. No, so now I have to feel bad that you made a mistake. Yes. Like yep. you're preventing me from calling you out ever again. Cause I don't want to have to carry you feeling so guilty about that. You feel else. so bad. Yeah. It's not exactly. about you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I take full accountability for what I said and I will try my best not to do it again. That like, it is apologizing and moving forward um, and going through all those kind of processes again, every time you walk into a conversation. So, mm-hmm. so that's, those are some of my key, my key things about allyship. And I think, you know, we can't pretend that we don't have a role in this, right? We, it's funny because I told my dad and I, this was a conversation we had pretty early on. I was like, you and I are inherently racist. He's like, what do you mean? I go, the things that we benefit from that we do not recognize that we benefit from and that we continue to enable, that is not us being anti-racist. And you can't be non-racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist. Your actions are either racist or they're anti-racist. They're either enabling and amplifying like racist ideas or constructs. And granted, like that's hard because they are so built in systemically to everything. This is not the role I want to be in, but I'm here. And I like, it's the same way that, you know, people of color might be like, this isn't necessarily the role that I wanted to be in, like, because of 
your white bullshit that, you know what I mean? So there's so much mm-hmm. for us to kind of all build on and learn from and um, stop assuming that, you know, we're not a part of the problem. Because if you think you're not a part of the problem, you, you are problem, yeah. <laughs> right? Wait, so- that reminds me of that quote. And of course I'm going to mess it up, but it's something like if you are neutral in sides of oppression, you've chosen the side of the oppressor or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't, you can't just sit there and like close your eyes. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. No, 100%. And it's, you know, I, there's also a couple of things that I've seen is like, okay, um, you accept this behavior over and over again. Does that make you racist? Not necessarily, but that makes it so that it's somewhere along the line, like racism wasn't a deal breaker for you, right? That mm-hmm. that's something that you wasn't like, nope, we're not doing that. It was it's just shrug your shoulders at. And that's, you know, that's, just letting it continue to happen and, you know, it's not mm-hmm. stopping people in their tracks and holding people accountable. Like, Hey, let's have these conversations. I mean, I remember the other day I messed up in class. I was talking about sorority and fraternity life and I called it, I called it Greek life. I did not know that that was no longer what it was called. Um, I didn't realize that we moved away from fledging to recruitment. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. And I know that's on like a smaller level, but when someone said that to me, I was like, thank you. Like I would have never known that. And sometimes people just mm-hmm. don't know what they don't know, which is why we need to hold each other accountable for knowing, you know, not knowing doesn't mean that you, you have a pass. That's one thing I also like to talk about is like intention and impact. Like if you have good intentions and you mess up, you don't get a pass for the impact you had, but you, you get an opportunity to learn and do better by someone asking that you take accountability. It's not about, you know, making an excuse as to why you didn't know, but Hey, I'm going to take accountability for that because my bad right? You can just tell that you have had so many conversations, I feel like, about this and probably in your personal life and obviously in your work life and getting students and faculty to like understand more about it and learn more and be more active and not like enable things that have gone on for so long and sort of be not the awake or the woke, but the doing things Mm -hmm. aspect. Obviously, there are different areas. We talked a lot about racism, but there's also like making more inclusive spaces for people with abilities and disabilities. Stop saying things like, oh, she's crazy or like, you know what I mean? Stop saying um, the R word. If I hear the R word, I stop dead in my tracks. I stop dead in my tracks and I throw up a little bit and then I have a conversation. (laughs) Like, It feels like like jarring, like a swear word. Like it feels so bad inside it. Same. Yeah, no, I- a visceral reaction comes from me for sure. But, you know, making sure that you're being careful with your word choices. Like for instance, even the word lame, like, oh, that's so lame. Like that's not, that's not fair to say to someone who, you know, that's actually a technical term, right? And we're taking that from them. We're stripping that, you know, what that word means for them in how they identify and all of that. So I think, you know, there are so many things that we just need to jump online and say like, hey, what are some words I avoid? right? There are some mm-hmm. things like they are fucking chocolate sprinkles. Stop calling them Jimmy's. <laughs> that is from Jim Crow laws. And that is just terrible. Like it is just, mm-hmm. it's things like that, that you wouldn't recognize, like have such an impact and you want to stop yourself from saying them until there's someone in the room that it would have a very negative impact on. So it's like catching yourself before you have to be corrected. Okay. To wrap this up, I have a question for you Yes. about what would you say about performative activism or like anti-racism because I think there's a lot going around about that and it's like how can you tell the difference and I guess avoid being a part of that yeah so I think performative it, it runs in a few different ways so one performative can look a lot like why are you doing it 
Like getting, asking yourself, why are you doing this? Is it because you feel like you're supposed to? Is it because it's, um, if it, because you feel like you're helping? Like why, like, why are you doing it? And I think at the end of the day, assessing what you want your impact to be is what, you know, what can help differentiate performative versus non-performative. And if you can talk about it and say like, no, like I wasn't trying to just look good on Instagram. I'm doing this because Instagram is my platform for talking about this. And I think, Mm -hmm. like I said, at the end of the day, like how you act outside of those actions that may look performative speaks a lot for what those actions actually mean. So if Mm -hmm. these are values that you carry like day to day and you're implementing them in all areas of your life, including social media, these conversations in front of people, you know, what impact are you having and why are you doing it? And I think that's a really important way to look at like, is this performative or not? Um, I know Mm -hmm. you and I talked about the instance earlier when we talked about, you know, the black squares. Um, For me, I remember, and I, I told Gretchen this story earlier, I was with a, uh, my girlfriend at the time. And I said, I need to understand this before I do it. And I started looking it up. I'm like, what do these black squares mean? Why are people doing them? Where did it start? Who started this? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I was immediately like, I need to understand. And I think that's a part of it too, like engaging once you understand it. There were a few marches in Portsmouth that were actually run by people who weren't actually, didn't actually have the Black Lives Matter movement um, kind of on their mind, you know what I mean? It was run by people who were trying to create awareness that the police in Portsmouth were fine, like all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, when I looked into it and found that out, I was like, that's not where I, I'm going to go to a different, I'm going to go to a different one. Cause that is not, you know, that the impact of what I am actually doing there. I, I don't want to just go to walk and say that I went to a Black Lives Matter protest. I want to go somewhere that's being held by people that this matters to them and that mm-hmm. I can try and just be like an aspiring ally to say like, I'm here, I'm trying to show up like, and I'm doing it because this needs to change. Um, mm-hmm. Not because I want it to look good on my Instagram feed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's almost like the performative part of it is like, at a personal level, you can notice deep down within yourself, like, okay, where is this coming from? Like, what are the reasons that I am, you know, being outspoken or whatever it is, going to this march, posting this, reposting this. It's like, if you, when you're honest with yourself, you can know what that is for you. Yeah. And it's about like, again, assessing the impact, like, is it helpful? Because if it's not helpful, then it's performative. And if it's actually harming that group, then it's, obviously specifically very performative and mm-hmm. um like i go back to those black squares because everyone that posted them they accidentally drowned out you know all of the black yeah. lives matter posts and that was actively harming the group was it purposeful no was that the intention no but again this is where we're talking about intention versus impact so if you're only thinking about your intention like oh i want to do good and i want it to look good that's, that's performative. But if you're thinking about like, what is my impact here and where, like, how is this helping the group that I am trying to stand in solidarity with? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if a lot of people thought more about, okay, intention impact with the black squares, if they, if people thought about it more, they could realize how that was all going to turn out because that was just a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'll never forget one of my friends said, all we asked you guys to do is sit and listen for a week and you guys had to, but it, it honestly kind of made me like it. She was obviously very frustrated with every right to be frustrated, but I was like, yeah, this sounds uh, just about right for that performative piece. But I also think something like that was bound to happen and people called it out, which was huge. And I think people deleting it was like, 
hey, you're immediately learning from your mistakes. Sweet. Like you mm -hmm. are realizing the impact that you had, that it was negative and realizing, okay, nope, let's, let's switch it up. You know, adjusting your opinion and your action based on, you know, new information being presented, which obviously is your best bet with just about any type of learning and growing. Yeah. I know you were saying that earlier too. I feel like people listening were probably just like, whoa, I just learned so much. Or I, you know, I hope at least that people listening are like, wow, like I learned at least one thing new or, you know, took away something that Andrea said that could definitely like help me in my personal life or my work life or whatever it is. Yeah. So. Walk into spaces yeah, and make yeah, them inclusive. Chat. Call people out. Yep. Call the uncle. Call the friend that's being a little rude. Yeah, exactly. Invite new perspectives to the table. I One of the conversations I had in my philosophy of science classes, you know, how much of our science would have been different? Like, what would we have come up with if it weren't just white men sitting at that table for so long? We'd probably have tampons that were like a little more effective than what we have right now if it was more than just white men at the table. But like, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> Wait, that's so accurate. Like, seriously, it's recognizing that the more perspectives at the table, like the more, um, like the better solutions that we're going to come up with. Because, you know, if we're mm -hmm. going all by one binary experience, you know, we're not learning anything. We're accommodating solely the people that have come up or fall within that binary experience. And at the end of the day, then everyone's screwed for that. You're like a blessing to listen to. Oh, you're I so feel sweet. Like, no, you really are. Because like I said before, you're like wise beyond your years and you're so cautious of your audience and not like cautious, but like careful. You're so inclusive. You're not offensive, but you're confident in the way that you speak. And oh, I appreciate that. And like I said, if I, I know that I am not perfect. I have probably said a couple things wrong in this episode and I, I, I take accountability and I'm, when I listen through it again, there are going to be a few things I'm like, oh, that could have had better wording. <laughs> um, but again, at the end of the day, getting out and sharing your voice once you've taken the time to try and educate yourself and, you know, amplifying the voice of others, it's, it's the best thing you can do. Silence is violence, people. Let's uh, step up. I'm so happy that we had you on in specific because of your position at UNH and how much you know about being an aspiring ally and how everyone else can learn to be an aspiring ally. And I know I had my episode about just racism in general and with everything going on. And I definitely want to keep the conversation going. So, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, it's good to kind of allow like yourself to step away from the center and just it's when you're given the opportunity to listen um, to someone who has to say something, it's, it's valuable. And it kind of teaches us all how to have conversations with one another again. Thank you so much for coming on, Andrea. This has been so good. Yes, it has been a lot of fun. I'm really happy. I'm really happy we did this.